the rate of data that is being consumed and, and ingested has changed um, our ability to be smarter in the marketplace. I, so I see a lot of, you know, data as being the new gold rush. The one thing that we are really encouraging and we're, we're starting to see some some impact is that the creative agency and media agency need to work together much more closely than they ever have. Welcome to season three of the AMM Conversation, official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. Before we begin this first episode, please make sure and do us a favor by following, rating, subscribing, or sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. In this first episode, we'll revisit the highlights of the AMM Pharma panel that I moderated in late October. That discussion featured Jim DeLash and Lori Holland Hancock. Jim's the U.S. Marketing Director of Customer Experience for Vaccines at GlaxoSmithKline. Lori is Director of the Multi-Channel Integration Team for Oncology at Merck. We started the discussion with Lori providing a state of the medical media industry. I think the um, the industry is definitely still in a state of flux and we're still learning how to manage through COVID, um, but we're doing better with it. And what how I see um, our industry, it takes me back to the days of old where we're really partnering more with the medical community. Not that we haven't in the past, but there seemed to have been a bit of a, a, a firewall between industry and physicians. And now, because we're facing this pandemic together, we're really trying to problem solve and come together as to how the best solution for physicians as well as patients. Um, but it is, um, it's, you know, the, the virus has its own um, way of thinking and it, it um, helps us to be more nimble and pivot um, as states open and close at the same time. And then how do we continue to support our customers through these different ways and be very relevant? I also see, you know, us coming together as an industry that kind of helps solve for from a vaccine perspective or a, a, a cure perception of how do we uh, bring our best scientists together and our best minds and ideas in manufacturing because this is a pandemic that's of global magnitude that we've never faced before and we have to be within the the industry it's not about one company it's about us against the virus so I, I I'm very positive that the industry can overcome this but um, it's good to see the collaboration um, in ways that I've um, haven't seen before. Jim, you know, I've heard through guests on the AMM Conversation podcast that pharma has become uber-focused on targeting during the pandemic. The message, the media selection, recommendations, much more focused than what has been done historically, mainly due to a shifting HCP mindset during the, this crisis and, and the pandemic. Can you explain the biggest adjustments you've made this year in response to so many traditional channels being disrupted at once? The idea of targeting and and um, you know focusing on on certain segments of the population within the healthcare provider uh, community, it, we've been doing that for a long time. I imagine most marketers are. You know, it's we're not just going out, you know, broad and general. The, the benefit you have in marketing to healthcare professionals is we all know who they are. We we have a database full of them. We know it's not like consumer marketing where you've got to go find people who have asthma or you know whatever. It's like. I know who they are. We can we can focus. It, I, I think I think what what things like a pandemic do is accelerate trends that were going to happen anyway. So as rep access becomes limited, now you've got to figure out ways to to change your message 
and get the right message there. So that's what we've been doing more of. More than the media, it's been the messaging that's been changed. Because right away you, you think about, and in my world of vaccines, it's a lot of, um, when you're talking about a preventative message, you know, there's a little bit of fear factor involved. How else do you sell something unless if you don't take this vaccine, this could happen, you know? So you have to be careful with that in a pandemic where things are happening, you know, that could be pretty bad out there. So we've dialed that down a little bit, but as far as the mix of media, um, we, we've expanded our, our efforts, but really not into new media as much as just new messaging based on the segment. I would um, definitely um, agree with uh, what was being said. And um, I think what has been highlighted here, I, I think the industry was already going to a more focused shift um, based on targeting and the ATP mindset. But what I also see is um, leaders really looking more in a multi-channel or omni-channel space and how do we now have better cross-coordination across channels, as well as you know, what's gonna be our strategy from a pull to a push strategy. Um, and this um, ability for us to really talk through not just the pandemic, but it also kind of highlights some of the, um, the healthcare disparities and how do we kind of, as, as was previously said, pivot our message um, to kind of address some newer situations where we weren't, um, we may have been focused, but uh, we need to kind of elevate that a, a bit more. So just to, to build on one of the things Lori just mentioned about like leadership being more involved and being more aware of things like digital and media, which is, I think is the case, you know, there's more education required because one of the things we realized, things like, um, like reach, when you talk about reach for the sales force, salesperson reaches the office, they talk to them, they, they detail it, whatever, that counts as one reach. Well, one email to a doctor, technically that's a reach, but not really, you know, it's not really the same effect. So we look at, we try to find things in terms of effective reach, because we can reach everybody. Like I said, we have a database, we can send an email to everybody and reach them all, but that's not really going to matter that much. Where if, if you had enough sales force that you could reach everybody that you needed to, as often as you, it would have likely more impact. So it is about redefining some of the terms and explaining kind of what we've been learning over the years through testing and models and so on to say, it's not like reaching frequency like you know it, it's different in, in this space. And offline and online have to work together to, to come up with the right experience, um, which is different than in person. So let's dig a little deeper. And Lori, what's different about as you start preparing for 2021, what's gonna be different? making sure um, getting back to the comments around reach but it's also about reach and engagement and really thinking through um, your digital investment with a purpose and opportunity and um, how are you laddering that back to your um, you know marketing objectives and strategic imperatives and communication objectives um, and I think it's more around, are there newer channels in 2021 where our customers have now pivoted to where we may not have either been or been as deep into those channels? And how does our strategy uh, pivot to meet the customers of where they're going to find um, educational needs? One of the more practical things that's different for us is, is the the alternate plan, you know, so you have a plan based on an assumption 
of, you know, COVID's going to be here through the first half of the year or whatever it is, whatever the assumption is, you've got to, you got to assume something or it's going to be business as usual. And then you have a, you have sort of the backup plan. You have key markers to say, okay, as of February one, if nothing's changed, we're going to go to plan B or, you know, whatever it is, it's, you have to like kind of do double plans almost depending on the product. So we have some products that are, um, you know, more relevant for college freshmen or, or, or students, um, young people graduating high school, going off to college. Well, if they're not going off to college um, or they're going to be at home going to college, that's different. They're not going to, so we have to have plan B. If they are, then it's kind of back. To, and then there's a timing element. So all that stuff, you start with a base of assumptions based on what we know today and you modify it and you have alternate plans. That's it's kind of what you normally do too, but, but the plan B is a lot deeper than it would have been otherwise. I think that's the big change for us. And, you know, we all know how it's not that easy to develop creative quickly. So you have to really plan ahead. And, you know, you, you, you also don't want to make it so, so generic that it could be used anyway, because then it's not going to work. So there's, there's a lot more work in that kind of in the planning phase, but I, I really think that's a good thing though. I think it's, it's forcing you to think about things you wouldn't have otherwise thought of. On a little bit more granular scale for our target audience, what is changing about your work in working with agencies, consultancies, vendors, et cetera? Our way of approaching, um, you know, a multi-channel or, or a customer experience plan is you, like, like always, you start with segments, you go to creative messages, you go to channels, and then you go to, to, to the website. That's the way we approach it. And, and that's some kind of steps. Along the way, you look for the big idea. Where's the big idea? Is it going to be a media, a new media source? Is it going to be a creative idea? Is it going to be some insight into a segment that's been different than what it was before, maybe through um, more models. We're, we're looking at many more models than we ever did, predictive models and um, you know, artificial intelligence, data science, all those kinds of things to just see if we can start to understand better what is, um, what's driving behavior. And then, that, then you come up with, uh, you develop these hypotheses. You don't start to say, well, I think it's because of you know, the economics of the situation, that's why people are doing this. And then we just proceed. It's like, no, that's my hypothesis. Now, what do I do to prove it or disprove it? And by the way, I've got four other hypotheses about what that behavior is causing. So we're, we're, we're not forcing, we're encouraging the agencies we work with to be, to be thinking along those lines. And just like, you know, we, we don't know the answer. We, we have to have a hypothesis to start with. And then you, you have to be really, um, disciplined in, in identifying those hypotheses worth pursuing that if proven correct, it's going to matter enough to the business. Cause if it's, you can be proven correct with something and then you find out, well, it didn't really matter. And I think that's a hard part too, because you're just estimating impact. And, you know, it, I, I, I encourage the team to look at things like relative. I don't want to say it's a hundred million dollar impact when do all the math. I just say, look, that's a hundred million one that's half as good as 50 million or whatever, whatever the numbers are, it doesn't really matter. It's about the relative proportion of those impacts. And you say this one, 10 times more valuable than that one. Yeah, okay, if it's eight, 10 doesn't really matter. It's much more, let's pursue that one. So that's, we just kind of try to get involved more in that, that kind of thinking um, because of this uncertainty. But other than that, we, we haven't veered off too much from what we normally do. Um, I agree. We're not doing a, a whole lot different, but what is what is unique and different is the tools and capabilities. Either I, you know, AI was mentioned and machine learning, and how can that help us really kind of break through some of the data parameters 
and really provide deeper level insights um, beyond just our traditional market research. It's important to really understand behaviors and attitudes and then how's that gonna ladder up into your, your 2021 plan um, and um, look at that investment opportunity. But it's also thinking through, do we need to um, pivot our, our messaging and, and how we're going to market so that we are being more relevant more believable, more timely with our customers. Um, and then there's you know, the backend measurement to ensure that we can adjust with more um, real-time optimizations um, versus you know, going just through the campaign front to back. Um, what do we do along the way in the middle so that we can pivot um, as the market and the customers pivot? How has your in-house expertise evolved and is that growth or maturity impacting your work with agencies and, and vendors and such? I think we, we are continually trying to learn. You know, that's that's part of what I like to do with my team is, is are, are we um, getting better than we were before? And it's not just learning, um, you know, of a new medium or a new channel or whatever. It's it's learning in, in you know, things like behavioral economics and things that, that are causing behaviors to change. So I think that's a constant thing. The one thing, um, that we are really encouraging and we're, we're starting to see some, some impact is that the creative agency and media agency need to work together much more closely than they ever have. Um, it, the, the, it, so it's not just this new channel, now what do we do? It's like, what's the right channel for this kind of message? Maybe um, a very emotional message or a very clinical message or whatever it is, there might be different channels that, that, that those are used for. Um, I don't know that, that I could say, you know, to tie it back to the question about expertise, you know, we're, we have knowledge in the space within our company. That's what we're, that's what we're looked for to, to deliver. Um, I hope that's always increasing, you know, that we're never just like on autopilot just sort of doing the normal things because no matter, that's what I said when I alluded earlier to pandemics, this pandemic has just accelerated things that were happening anyway. There are changes in the marketplace. This is a very different market in pharmaceutical marketing than five or 10 years ago. So you think ahead five years from now, what's it likely to be? Might there be many fewer reps or reps with different agendas, or maybe they have meeting, whatever, who knows what it could be, but that's the kind of stuff you start thinking about. And that's the expertise you try to develop in anticipation and not as much of a reaction. I would definitely um, agree with that. I think um, as the pandemic is um, having our, our industry come together and collaborate um, to solve problems, I think we're seeing more um, changing the ways of working across industries uh, with that support our businesses and specifically uh, where agencies might have competed before we're looking at you know what are the expertise to bring to the table so you can get the best product um, possible that's a, a, a new mentality and um, but it is having a good impact I think also when you're thinking about what else is changing is the rate of data that is being consumed and, and ingested has changed um, our ability to um, be smarter in the marketplace. And um, I, so I see a lot of you know, data as being the new gold rush for our industry. And then how do we leverage this in a smart way um, that impacts our customers? We're starting to explore this more of using maybe several agencies in the space, whether it's within predictive models or creative or, or um, use of behavioral economics, things like that, where you might think about more of a specialist to bring in, um, even within 
the agency holding company or something, not necessarily within the, the, the agency that you're working with, but maybe some sister agency or whatever, where they have an expertise that you really want to use. Um, and and we're, we're just investigating that. So we haven't gone too far with it yet. But, you know, my understanding from talking to colleagues internally that, you know, you, the key to success is every, you have to define the agency's role specifically. Okay, we're bringing in these other guys. They're going to work on this project from today through January 15th, and then their, their role is done. They're going to be responsible for this. You guys still own the whole, you know, all that stuff. And being really specific about it can help you get, um, you know, the right person in there to help. And I think, um, you know, it's funny. I was, I had some work done on my house with these construction guys with the bathrooms. Well, there, there's like these core guys doing the work. And then all of a sudden there's a, there's a glass guy that comes in and then there's a stone cutter guy. And they're like all these specialists, they come in and there's more people coming in out of this house. I don't even know who they all are, but, but they're very much specialists. And I started thinking about like marketing, like there's a role for that too. There's a role for the, you know, kind of the, the orchestra leader, the general, the general director. But then there's like, I need a specialist with real expertise in, you know, understanding behavior, understanding behavioral economics techniques and how to implement it that is focused solely on that, where I don't know that I would have thought of that a couple of years ago. And, and so, you know, you just bring them in, do their thing, they leave, and then the agency runs with it. The, the question will be, can the core agency handle that, right? I mean, can they handle the bringing in new people? And that's all about how as a client, we, we would drive that. Um, you know, and maybe it'll work sometimes and maybe it won't, we'll see. But it's just something else we're thinking about that I hadn't really thought about before. How are you using data and analytics to fuel decisions around HCP target audiences, selection of media channels, et cetera? Oh, wow. Um, so it starts with the data analytics um, to ensure that you have the right channel and um, digital partnership mix. And um, I think the, the beauty of it, whether you're in a um, a decentralized or centralized situation about how you encapsulate your data is that you go back and you look at that information um, as you're informing your choices as well as channel ROIs. And so when you think about, you know, as I think about my channel and vendor mix and, and meeting their objectives, these, these KPIs beyond um, just open and click through engagement rates, but you know, how deep did they go into the video and, and are customers shifting away from certain um, platforms and or vendors within the platforms really inform our investment choices. It's one of those things where you really should go back and, and look at the data and how your customers are engaging um, to inform some of those newer choices. Now, if you have newer segments, you may do more traditional if you don't have as much data behind it. But, um, but if you have that data, definitely leverage it versus just collecting it. We, we kind of look at um, a, a little bit of an art and science approach to this because, mm-hmm. you know, the, I mean, analytics, you know, critical, you've got to know what's going on. We, we have models, we have, you know, attribution models and market mix models and all that stuff. But like any model is only looking backwards in time. It can't look forward uh, without without the sort of the subjective touch to it. So we look at that as a guideline and say, all right, this is we should be investing this percentage of the budget in this channel or whatever, and the total spend should be this. And then we we kind of validate it based on on past results. But then it's also, but wait a minute, but we're developing this great new creative that we think is really going to connect with the, we need to spend a little bit more there um, or expand the reach a little bit to make sure we do this or our creative isn't that good. Or we think it's not that it's not 
you hope you never put anything in market you don't think is good, but the, but you don't think it has the appeal that you might need it to have. So then you say, I'm going to be a little bit maybe more cautious in this spend, or you know something or competitors coming into the marketplace, or something else you project might might happen either positive or negative that cause you to adjust that spend. And then you we we have like biweekly. I mean, there's optimization going on daily at the agency. And then there's biweekly kind of op, um, meetings where you optimize. The, sort of the slower moving channels like email or something compared to things like search or banners, which are, which are constant. So we, we can have a mix. And then we have a bigger meeting, less frequent, where you look at not just the clicks, but then, okay, they went to the site. How, like I think Lauren mentioned about how much of the video they view. Ultimately, then how much was their buying behavior changed? So there's different levels of this. Um, and I think it's really, the, you know, we, we know, we, we all know there's a ton of data out there and it's how do you sift through and find out what really matters and discard the rest. Um, because you can get caught up into it and just find all these, you know, these charts and, and data sets that are like, oh, that's interesting, but, you know, doesn't really tell you anything and there's no trend to it, whatever. So um, that's, that's a discipline that's hard, hard, to, it's hard to develop and then hard to maintain. Actionable intelligence versus just a lump of data. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's um, just to add, I think it's really important, um, you know, when you're committed to digital, as many companies are, is that you you do have this um, space of, of people or, 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 or teams that actually kind of help you sift through some of these KPIs and ROIs. I agree there could be too much, but if you're focused on the right few based on that channel, um, you can probably come down with fairly good methodologies and models that kind of help guide um, your trends and, and where you're gonna go in the future. Um, I would also say, um, you know, our customers, at least in the market that I am working in, you know, all of them, where they're expecting to see the data is important as well, or, or see our, um, our, um, our assets or what we're putting into the market. So it's, how do you think through um, meeting the customer where they are at the right time, right channel? Uh, because, you know, sometimes there's a decentralized approach versus just everybody going to our website. Up until maybe you know maybe the last year or so, the, the website was a was a separate initiative, like a separate team was managing it, you know, and, and it was like, wait, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yet everything we're doing points to the website, and it, for the team working on it, it was typically a lower priority, so it wouldn't get updated as much, you know, it wasn't as good, it didn't match the creative, all that stuff, and then we realized that's that's not a really good idea, you know? So we, 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 we decided we needed to, we need to manage that and make it an integral part of the plan. So not only do you have the certain campaigns, you have the website's gonna be updated on these dates and it's this page, these number of pages and so on. And, and look to do a lot more testing on the website too, where, you know, different creative messages, different um, um, display designs and so on that, that you can actually make that experience better. Because in the end, we're trying to create this experience that has value to the customers, how, that they're seeing this information that they really need. And what they're going to see next is what they need next. And how do we know this? We know this because we, we're doing all this work, all this statistical stuff, all the artistic stuff, and we're, we're testing a lot. And we're, we're ending up with, um, you know, just how did, how did they know I needed to know this right now? That's, that's what I want them to feel. We'll be right back after a word from the Association of Medical Media. 
Hi, I'm Tad Van Dijk, Executive Director of the Association of Medical Media, and we're thrilled that you've taken some time today to listen to this episode of our podcast series. For more information about our organization, please go online and visit www.ammonline.org. There you'll find a host of different resources and materials and tools that you can use. It's all part of our commitment to the medical media industry, and if you're inclined, we'd love to have you as a member. You can always reach out for ideas for new podcast series, or to let us know you'd like to become more involved by an email to help at ammonline.org. Thanks again, and we'll get you back to this interview. We're back with Jim DeLash and Lori Hancock. Let's continue the conversation. We've talked about a few sort of new technologies. Have you made decisions or invested more during the last six months or, or looking ahead in new technologies or capabilities, meaning new since the pandemic, to help you inform those decisions? I mean, there were things in, in the works and we're always looking at new things, but I can't say there's been anything new since the pandemic. And I, things like telehealth, at least for me, aren't as valuable because it's a vaccine and we're not really, you know, we haven't, mm-hmm. telehealth is sort of the enemy, I guess. <laughs> you know, we're, it's, that, we can't vaccinate them over the computer, but you know, so um, no, but we haven't really thought about that yet. And it, it's interesting because new channels and like that does very tactical kind of, thinking there, which you need at times. But as we face a pandemic and figure out what to do, I think we're trying to think more strategically about bigger picture, what are we trying to do? And are there new channels and new things that can help us get there? That's great. But we're not starting with that. We're we're sort of following with that. Yeah, I I would agree that many of these investments and newer technology and capabilities just don't pop up right overnight. We've been working on them for a while. Um, What the pandemic has highlighted is how to pull them through faster, possibly, and get get them into market um, so that we can, um, you know, reap the benefits of new platforms and capabilities versus, um, you know, starting just because the pandemic was there. Is it almost the opposite, you know, old school, like you think of something like direct mail, at least as consumers, we're all at home now all the time. One of the highlights of the day is going out to the mailbox. First of all, I get out of the chair for like, you know, 30 seconds or something. And who knows what's going to be there? It's, it's sort of like, you know, 20 years ago. And, and you know, I think there's an opportunity there because you, you just, you, you have more, more opportunity. There's more availability of, of time and just to go get something. And even, even in a physician's office or something too there, I, I would think, you know, may, they're, Unfortunately for them, they may be seeing fewer patients. Something like the mail coming in may get more attention. So it's not necessarily just something new tech, a new technology. It's actually maybe the oldest technology that might be the one that, that matters most. Are there new meaningful KPIs that come to mind that if you've sat in meetings and you're like, that KPI just keeps coming up. Somebody from the data and analytics team just keeps saying it, that you're going to raise the level of where that KPI ranks on how important it is moving forward. I think we're, we're always looking beyond the traditional KPIs. I don't know that there's one specific new one at this point in time, um, but there, there are always variables that we're looking at around, you know, how to um, better measure um, engagement strategies across our customers. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's always a, a little in flux, but once we land on something, I think the other thing is making sure that the model is, um, you know, reliable and st- statistically there. And then, you know, how do you launch a new KPI potentially? I, I would say, um, you know, again, beyond opening a click, we talked about depth and it's really um, 
really understanding how deep some of our customers are going based on the tactic is important. And also I would wanna know, especially in this environment, um, how are we looking at consistency and frequency um, with our customers across the different channels? Because just like a representative goes into the door, it's not one and done with digital. You kind of have to have that pattern of um, frequency and um, consistency. Two things that we've, that we've used differently to try to monitor what's going on. First is, um, is search impressions for our, our AdWord, key AdWord groups, where if you look at, you know, you, you start looking at, and, and in my world of physician behavior, are there changes in, in numbers of searches for different types of vaccines or seeing patients, whatever the words are. And is that, that's giving a sort of a leading indicator that if they're searching on those terms, that means they're interested in the topic that, that we'll assume it means they're seeing patients and that we can start to act you know, differently. And then we can drill into it, depending on the volume, it might be a geo thing or whatever, but search activity, I think is a real, it's a natural behavior. So the more we can monitor that, it can give us insight into, into just what people are thinking. We use um, MVAs and HQVs as, as really key as KPIs. How's that for a bunch of acronyms in one sentence? But an MVA is the most valued action and then a high quality visit. And those are both on the site. So it, you define those things very specifically. Um, you know, it's a video view, it's a download of something, it's time on site of whatever. We are also looking at modeling that sort of thing, you know, where like, okay, it is a logic to it that says, if you go to the site and if you watch this video, um, you're probably likely, you know, you're more likely to become a customer than if not. But I would love to be able to put some, some math to it and say, okay, if you do that, there's a 30% probability that you're going to become a customer or whatever. And then you can start doing some, some math that's going to say, all right, if I do that and I can, then I can, I can define and measure the value of that, that can help me go back and then determine how much I can invest to get people there because at 30%, you know, and you do all the math and you say, okay, there were, I can invest $30 a physician to get them there or whatever it is. Um, I think that's the kind of stuff that we're, that, the different kind of KPIs now that are, because most of our, our efforts drive to the website. Well, what are they doing on the website? Cause that they're not getting all the brand information through the, the other channels. The, the website is the repository of all the information. So if they go in and take the right actions, depending on where they are in the funnel and all those sort of things, that's where the probabilities come in. So that's, those are the kind of things we're, we're kind of playing around with right now to see if we can not become so totally analytics driven that you, you just don't, you don't need us. You just have robots do this work. So you add the human element, which is what, what exactly does this mean? And what should the messaging you know, change be? And what do we follow up with? And last question, and then we'll open up for Q&A, um, new and social media. Laura, you mentioned this earlier, you know, new, new innovative opportunities as we look to you know, 2021. Lori, if you don't mind, have, can you share, have you shifted any focus to include or experimentation with new media and engagement tactics, podcasts? You've talked about video. Jim has already scratched telehealth off of their EHRs. <laughs> what, what's new new on, on, on the stove? Uh, you know, what's cooking? So I would say the, the shift to some of these channels, with the exception of telehealth, um, kind of happened pre-pandemic. Um, um, and it, and when I think of um, social, I, I think of it in, in two ways. There's the restricted HCP social through um, the proximities of the world. And then there's the um, 
the 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 verge of going into like open paid social through Twitter and and LinkedIn and and Facebook, where I think we were at the tipping point um, pre-pandemic, and it has opened our eyes to say what else can we do because we know our some of our customers have shifted there at least from um, our vantage point. And then how do we get the right information because uh, through podcasting, through uh, open social channels um, into the hands of customers. So although it was a, a pre-pandemic shift, we are um, you know, looking to, you know, how do you open that aperture um, post-pandemic? I think telehealth is a, a tricky one. Um, it's not off the list. It's just the how. And I think once we figure out the, the how in telehealth, because there's so many different um, disparate opportunities in telehealth, at least from a, an ad perspective, but there could be, you know, how do we think more of partnerships in telehealth versus just um, paid advertising. So I think that's one that um, we still blueprint um, and, and think through on what are the opportunities, because I believe it will be here in the future. Jimmy, any uh, thoughts on new and social? I'm probably one of the outliers. I'm not as, as bullish on it as other people are. I think it's it, it's good. It, it's helpful. There's an opportunity. I'm just not sure it's it's big enough. Um, and it, you know, it's also much more time time intensive internally. You know, to get things approved and there's it's it's a it's a little bit so you you know you you have to value and, and evaluate your 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 team's time and the agency time as well as the cost. So is this going to be worth the effort of going through multiple iterations of review for something that maybe it has, maybe it yields something, maybe it doesn't versus other things that we could be doing. So I do look at it. If it fits our strategy, then we should do it. Um, but I don't want to just do like something on social just because leadership says we need to be doing more social. And there's some chart somewhere that says X percent of our budget needs to be social, which I think happens at times. I think it depends on your customer base and if your customer base is there. If your customer's base is there, um, there's the opportunity to crack the social network and and um, provide a new aperture of, of channels. Um, I do believe that, um, you know, it's not a lift and shift of content. You really have to think about like native platform content and how to do that right in the channel so that you show up credible, believable, and people want to engage with you. And so that's a, a good thing to work on um, that, you, that, that you can do without um, a thousand iterations. 100% with that. That's where we've had success in some of our other brand, non-vaccine brands on social is developing content, you know, most comfortable within the Facebook infrastructure and not just not just technically, but that it looks, it's, it's a different way of, of, of communicating the message because it isn't just put the same message that you put in a, in a, a physician's journal or something on Facebook or Instagram or something. It, it has to be um, done differently. And in some cases we're willing to put that effort in in other cases we haven't been, in, in which case we won't advertise there. We don't want to just put the same old ad there because it's not going to work. Great. And we'll, we'll kick off the Q&A portion with a question that dovetails nicely from Dana Trimborn. Um, have you used any um, ads recently within health podcasts that would be relevant for the physician to not only listen and gain knowledge, but to also hear a sponsored ad for a product? Uh, we, we have advertised on podcasts. I, I don't know that we've advertised a product on podcasts. I think we're looking to produce. How do you think of producing your own podcast so that you can get a listening audience is really on the minds of, of most versus being a sponsored ad in between podcasts? Um, so that you can have that one-on-one -on -one, um, dialogue. From uh, Christine Perino, um, 
How are you leveraging personalization to increase relevance of content message experience to your customers? So I would say, A, hi, Christine. <laughs> and um, B, uh, I think leveraging personalization is important so that there's a, there's a bunch of ways you can do this. There's um, technology that helps with personalization, um, you know, understanding right channel, right message, right time at that moment for the customer. Um, uh, some people call it next best action. Some people call it next best engagement. There's all kinds of tools out there. But I would also say is, you know, going a layer deeper is how do you start to think about the persona work that you're using and, and, and developing and, and, and portraits or digital customer portraits with our customers and making sure that that is personalized so that, um, you know, Dr. Hancock gets a certain type of subject line that's an, an infographic that goes with right message time based on how I have been interacting with content in the past versus the next doctor could be Smith who has a more integrative uh, persona on um, subject lines and but a different type of maybe more clinical versus infographic. Um, and so I think when you get to that point, you've really met your customer preferences, and you're able to still give that message, but display it in different ways across your segments. And so that's the exciting part. We've done little in the way of using personalization. And I think there's a huge opportunity there. It's, um, you know, and I think it's a lot of testing and learning from that because, you know, I think from what I, my research into personalization is people are not offended by, by personalization as long as it's re relevant to them and has value to them. So if I tell you, I know you've been buying this many products from us and based on some other information we have, we think you may be able to serve more patients if you, you know, with, with an extra number of uh, doses or whatever, um, there may be value in that. Or there's other things that we might use the data that we have to create a more valuable message for the customer and not just tell them what we know about them, but turn that into, into value. Otherwise, it's just like, okay, you're telling me what I already know. I think through things like Amazon and other that we all buy through, you, you know, we know that they know our buying history. We, and, and we actually want to be reminded when there's certain things that, that we're, we've been buying but haven't bought lately. Whether we choose to buy or not is, the, is, is a separate question. Um, why can't we do that more? We, we, we noticed your, buying, your, your pattern has changed in buying. You used to be buying a lot more. You know, what can we, what's the right message to, to address them with? Is there something we can do? Do you need to, you need to talk to somebody or whatever instead of... Um, just totally not not using that information to, to our, well, really to the customer's benefit, because maybe there's some reason that they're not buying um, and there's something we can do about it, or maybe there's not, you know, um, at least you come up with some, some hypotheses to prove it out. Um, but I think there's, there's, there's so much data that we can use to make it a better experience. We just haven't. And I think we're, we're, we're heading that way, but I think I get the feeling it's going to take a while. I'm not sure why, because it's pretty obvious to me. Yeah, I would, um, just to add to um, and build upon some of those comments is I I really think personalization is, I want to say the wave of the future, but it's a really important capability to bring into your digital strategy. Um, you know, there's a blend or starting to get a blend, especially now between what your expectations are in your personal life versus your professional life. And, you know, some of the real-time demands of that you can get with personalized messages are starting to dribble and drabble over into the professional life as well. And so I think the more we kind of 
think about that space and, and how to you know, capitalize on that in the future is going to be really key for us. A question from Milton Barcos, outside of ATUs that you share with agency partners, do you also share the actionable results with agencies to determine if multi-channel programs are successful and tied to your long-term KPIs? Yeah, we, we have the agency partners are involved in, they attend all the um, analytics meetings. It was surprising to me a couple of years ago when one of the writers at our agency said, yeah, he's never even seen the results of how these emails worked out. He spends all this time developing subject lines and goes through all the, you know, the review and then doesn't even, I thought that's, that's crazy. We can't do that. So yeah, no, we have these biweekly meetings. I mentioned the agencies are all invited, media agency, creative agency, database, anybody involved. Yeah, I, I would agree. You have to create that base and forum for the, um, not just the media agency, but the creative agency and anyone else that's been touching that digital um, content, including marketing. And we have this, um, you know, diversity of people invested in the digital content. It's important to, for them to understand why you're making certain recommendations and why you're pivoting um, based on the, you know, the data and um, how things are performing. And they want to know because it just helps them do a better um job and, and, and helping us kind of create, you know, what things could look like in a compliant way. That's all for this episode of AMM Conversation. AMM Conversation is the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. A special thanks to AMM board member Amy Turnquist for coordinating the pharma panel guests. Make sure to listen to each and every episode of AMM Conversation on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Kindly leave us a comment, subscribe to the podcast, follow us, or share the podcast with friends and colleagues. We appreciate the engagement. Also make sure to check out the AMM website, ammonline.org, for the latest information and resources on medical media. In addition to fact sheets, industry research, and special reports, you can watch my monthly healthcare policy update featuring Beltway insider John Bigelow or the new YouTube series, John Laughlin Viewed Your Profile on AMM's new YouTube channel. Thanks for joining us today. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host or AMM or any other group or individual.